Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, and welcome to History of Portugal. I'm Rob Mendez, and this is episode 25, Display of Power. Before we get started today, there are some housekeeping items that we need to go over. So let's start with the Patreon page. As several of you have observed, the Patreon page for the show is no longer active. I decided to disable the page because, as I'm sure you've noticed, I'm not publishing episodes as often as I used to. So, I didn't feel comfortable with having patrons when I'm not producing work on a regular basis. So, for the foreseeable future, I have no plans to reactivate the page. Additionally, I have a very, very special thank you that I want to give. Back in January of 2023, I was contacted by listener Georges Montferro, who really enjoyed the show and who had a proposition to help me out. It turned out that Georges' uncle... Mr. Fernando Montferro is the owner of the Portuguese publishing house, Edições Colibri. Georges spoke to his uncle about the show, and in an extraordinarily gracious gesture, Mr. Montferro said that I could have any books available in the publishing house's library free of charge. Not only was this a touching gift in and of itself, but there is nothing more valuable to historical research than books. Living in the United States, it's incredibly hard to find academic history books about Portugal. If you go to any bookstore, if they have anything on Portuguese history, it will be, you guessed it, about the age of exploration. So finding material that isn't a general history is always a challenge. So having this kind of offer on the table was beyond helpful. So a huge thank you to Georges and Fernando Montferro. I'm in your debt. Last episode, we covered the major events of the 11th century in the Iberian Peninsula, which culminated into the rise of Leon Castile and the fall of the Caliphate of Córdoba. This episode, 
we will pick things back up and cover the reign of Fernando I, as well as the reigns and civil wars that his sons engaged in soon after his death. As some of you may know, Fernando I was also known as Fernando el Magno, or Fernando the Great. Furthermore, he also has the distinction as the first political entity in the Iberian Peninsula since the days of Rome to be referred to with the grand title of emperor. Or at least that's what his successors and supporters wanted us to think. But the use of the imperial title is absent in documents from his own chancellery. His sons had obvious reasons to promote the idea that they were the sons of an emperor. And there are a few contemporary mentions of the title in several church documents in the Complutense Chronicle. However, the chronicle refers to him in Latin as Imperator Fortissimus, in the context of the conquest of Coimbra. So, it's pretty much accepted nowadays that the Imperator title was more like a customary description of when the king was kicking ass, rather than an actual political title. And now, let's get started. Upon attaining the kingship of Leon and Castile, Fernando acted quickly to make sure that these titles were not just words, but substance. To this end, he secured recognition from the members of Alfonso V's family, along with an increasing number of other nobles. But these efforts were successful only to a point. The available evidence suggests that there were frequent rebellions in the first half of Fernando's reign, with the most significant revolts occurring in Galicia in 1059. And defeat for the rebels was accompanied by the confiscation of assets. However, we know next to nothing about the specific causes in each case or the general political atmosphere which fueled these conflicts. It's possible that part of the unrest was due to the king's insistence on a non-hereditary policy of territorial governments, which typically took the institutional form of counties, especially in Leon. However, the room for maneuvering in this policy was limited since the social pool from which the positions originated was the county nobility. As I mentioned in a previous episode, Fernando tried to expand that pool to the lower noble class of the Infansoinge, which is especially clear in the county of Portugal. This increased mobility would naturally lead to instability and resistance from those being pushed out of power. And although it could strengthen bonds of loyalty to the monarch, it didn't necessarily result in an effective increase of royal power. A relevant example of these maneuvers was in the county of Portugal, which was in the hands of the descendants of Gonçalo Menge. When the Count Mendo Nunes was assassinated after 20 years of rule in 1054, the king took advantage of the fact that the count's son was still underage to govern the county through the Infansoins using the titles of stewards and deputies. But this was all done without ensuring automatic succession. Even though Nunu also held the title of count, he had much less power than his father, and Fernando repeated this move throughout Leon Castile as a way to directly influence who had what power and how they could wield it. It wasn't complete control over the county nobility, but it was an improved method for the crown to have more of a say in these matters. 
The last decade of Fernando I's reign was primarily dedicated to the war against the Muslims of Al-Andalus. Through the restoration and expansion of borders predating the era of Al-Mansur, and the establishment of protection arrangements and dominance over the taifas. Now, a taifa is an Arabic word that means faction or party or kingdom, and it's the word used to describe the small independent territories that formed in Al-Andalus after the fall of the Caliphate of Cordoba. And predictably, as the Caliphate collapsed, the taifa kingdoms began attacking each other all the time. The Northern Christian kingdoms saw this not only as a great opportunity to begin influencing the course of events in the South, but to also make some money through what we would nowadays characterize as protection rackets. These protection payments were called pariyash. All of this marks a departure from the status quo since the fall of the Umayyads. Until then, Muslim kings had dealt with their internal disputes and only sporadically sought help or protection from their Christian neighbors, starting in 1009. From 1045 onwards, the Counts of Barcelona and somewhat later the Kings of Pamplona had established protection regimes with the payment of parillas from the taifas of the Middle and Lower Ebro Valley, and that was in line with the trends of the past few decades. However, the breadth and continuity of the actions undertaken by Fernando brought into focus that only the King of Leon and Castile was in a position to shift existing balances in his favor and project a long-term comprehensive policy of conquest. The initial campaigns of the king were directed towards the western sector of the frontier, namely the county of Portugal. He was attempting to restore the borders prior to Almansud's conquest of Coimbra and Lamego. It seems like this was a strategic decision based on exploiting the weakness of the kingdom of Badajoz, whose king, Al-Mu'tamid, was at war with Al-Mu'talid of Seville. The first step was the repossession in 1056 of some castles located about 30 kilometers or 18 miles east of Lamego in order to secure logistical jumping off points. He managed to take the castles of São João da Pesqueira, Paredes de Beira, Linhares, and Carazeda de Anciange. The siege and capture of Lamego occurred the following year, in November of 1057, along with the conquest of the nearby castles of São Martinho de Mouros and Taroca. The following year, in 1058, a new campaign was organized from southern Galicia with staging points in Braga and Porto. And its objective was Viseu, which was taken by assault on July 23rd, despite its numerous and renowned archers. For the next six years, until 1064, the king made sure to solidify control over the region by capturing numerous smaller castles, including the castle of Seya. This new line in the sand made possible the future siege of Coimbra, in the Leonese territories, there was a process of restoration and colonization around the Douro River. The colonization process of Zamora and Douro and their surrounding areas took place between 1040 and 1060. During that same time period, in the Castilian realm, Count Sancho Garcia had recovered Osma, San Esteban de Gormaz, and Clunia. The new zone of control allowed for campaigns to be launched from that area against the Kingdom of Toledo 
which took place in 1058, a few months after the Viseu expedition. Fernando then took Gormaz to secure his rear and subsequently advanced towards Medina Celi, entering the Taifa of Toledo. This initial raid into Toledo's territory also affected the kingdom of Zaragoza, as the places taken by the Christians were under its dominion. This event, among other things, triggered a war between Sancho Garces IV, who was the protector of Zaragoza, and Fernando I. In this conflict, Garcia supported Toledo, and Fernando supported Zaragoza, attacking the enemy Taifa territories in each case. This resulted in no direct clash between the Christian kings, but rather benefits. The king of Toledo sent money to Garcia in 1044 and to Fernando the following year to seek their respective assistance. But hostilities between Garcia and Fernando began in earnest in 1053 with Navarran incursions into Castile, during which they took the castles of Ubierna, Piedra, and Urbel. And during this time, Garcia rejected the peace proposals made by Fernando. The final battle took place in Atapuerca on September 1, 1054. Garcia, possibly with Muslim auxiliaries, sent by Al-Muqtadid of Zaragoza, faced Fernando, who was supported by many Leonese forces. The upshot of this battle is that Garcia died and his son, Sancho Garces IV, was proclaimed king by his troops on the battlefield. But this change in leadership did little to ease tensions between Leon, Castile, and Navarre, especially where territorial boundaries were concerned. Now, looking ahead, this whole thing led to another war between 1058 and 1062, in which Fernando managed to restore many parts of the Castilian border. In the second war, the dispute for the protection of the Kingdom of Zaragoza was also contested. Zaragoza left its alliance with Pamplona around 1062 to accept Castilian protection. This added an additional layer of rivalry, as they were now competing not only over territory, but also for control over areas of protection and expansion in Al-Andalus. All of this amounted to the fact that Fernando was opening a new field of interest and expansion in the vast Muslim Ebro Valley. Once peace was achieved with Sancho Garces, Fernando led a new expedition against Toledo's territory in 1062. The main attacks targeted Talamanca, Guadalajara, and Alcalá de Henares. The following year, in July 1063, a great raid was aimed at Seville, which had until then avoided such attacks. And it concluded similarly, with the payment of a sum of gold and the promise to deliver certain religious relics to the envoys of the Christian king. During the expedition against Seville, a significant player entered the game, a Mozara born near Coimbra, in the town of Tentugal, named Cisenandu David, who joined Fernando I's entourage. Cisenandu had lived many years in Seville, in the service of Al-Mu'tamid, who had sent him as an ambassador to the Christian king. He was well-versed in the Andalusian political world, especially that of Seville and Badajoz. He also served as an advisor on the possibility of besieging Coimbra. In doing this, he simultaneously served both his new lord and the old one, 
because it diverted the blow of the Christian army away from the area belonging to the king of Badajoz. The major campaign against Coimbra began on January 20, 1064, and lasted for about six months, requiring the continuous presence of the king with his family and a sizable army, which was likely comprised mostly of men from Galicia and Portugal. However, there was only a partial surrender when the walls were already breached and the assault began. A significant portion of the population continued to resist, but the victors eventually took over 5,000 captives when Coimbra finally fell into their hands. Fernando I entered the city on Friday, July 9, 1064, entrusting its governance to Cisnando the Vich, who took on the title of Vizier of Coimbra. It's notable that the monarch's military activity was near constant and that he used different contingents for each case. He used Galician and Portuguese and sometimes Leonese forces for siege campaigns in the west, and he especially used Castilians for raids and punitive operations in the lands of Toledo, Zaragoza, and even Seville and Valencia. In just a few years, Fernando had begun to engage in all possible forms of relationships with the Muslims, such as protection in exchange for the payments of parias, punitive raids, sieges, and even pitched battles. His campaigns show a distribution of efforts that allowed for almost continuous action, breaking the seasonal rhythms of war due to the autonomy of the fronts in which he operated. There was almost total autonomy in the Galician-Portuguese front, but it's less clear in the Leonese and Castilian. Fernando demonstrated with his continuous campaigns that he had the necessary manpower and treasure to sustain it indefinitely, provided, of course, that the internal circumstances of his realm did not prevent or hinder it, or that no new big challengers arose in Al-Andalus, where the military capacity of the Taifas was diminishing. Thus, between 1056 and 1065, Fernando designed the main lines of a policy that his successor, Alfonso VI, would develop and carry to its ultimate consequences. Finally, on December 27, 1065, Fernando died in Leon, surrounded by the bishops of his kingdom. He was 49 years old and had ruled Leon Castile for 29 years. But before he died, Fernando summoned an extraordinary royal court held in Leon at the end of 1063. The main focus of this assembly was to hammer out which of his male children were to inherit the realms and other political rights when he died. And it shook out like this. Sancho, the eldest, would, like his father, be the king of Castile, including the Asturias of Santillana, among other small territories, as well as the tributes from the Taifa kingdom of Zaragoza. Alfonso, born around 1037, would be the king of Leon, but an enlarged Leon, plus protection and tributes over the Taifa of Toledo. On the other hand, Garcia, the third male child, would have the kingdom of Galicia, including the county of Portugal and the protection and tributes of Badajoz and Seville. For the two daughters, Uraca and Elvira, separate infantazgos were established. 
An infantazgo at this point was basically a land grant whose purpose was to provide money and autonomy to the recipient. In this case, the infantazgo was centered around the main royal monasteries of León and Castile, so that they could sustain themselves from their income while remaining unmarried. In this time period, it was not uncommon for kingdoms and territories to be divvied up in the inheritance process. This happened because of how people viewed ownership and the use of land, as well as the practical challenges of managing power, which often led to fragmentation, despite efforts to maintain a sense of unity. The royal court's mobile nature somewhat offset this tendency, but not that much. One common practice, like in the case of the Navarrese royalty, was ensuring the oldest son inherited the main kingdom and assets, while the other sons got a share of the gains or smaller territories. For instance, Sancho got Castile because it was his father's kingdom, but Leon and Galicia belonged to his mother. Even though Fernando had full power, it's likely that the queen also played a role in deciding how the inheritance was distributed. It's interesting that there were no fights among the brothers over inheritance terms until the queen passed away in 1067. Moreover, it seems that Castilian nobles did not participate in the Leon assembly where such terms were published. Although in Fernando's court, there was usually a balance between Leonese and Castilian nobles with a certain predominance of the Castilians. And finally, in that court, the king decided the constitution of Galicia as an independent kingdom which can only be explained based on the very ancient Leonese precedents and with the acquiescence of Queen Sancha. That the distribution of territory discontented Sancho and Alfonso is demonstrated by the way in which events developed. The reasons for Sancho would surely be more immediate, like those of Alfonso. Sancho saw himself deprived of part of his inheritance, the maternal part. Alfonso, in turn, suffered the detachment of Galicia in favor of Garcia. Both in Galicia and in the county of Portugal, King Garcia had to deal with a very large, albeit scattered, political power of the nobles, and above all, with that of the bishops, on whom Garcia wanted to base his own government. He attempted to use the power of the bishoprics to counterbalance the power of the nobility who was established between the Mingo and Douro rivers. Where the king encountered greater difficulties was among the Portuguese nobles. In March 1066, he deprived Garcia Muniz of the noble family of Ribadouro of his possessions. And in January 1071, he defeated another Count Nuno Menz, who died in the fight. King Garcia had observed the political rise of the Infanções lineages, who were well established in their areas of influence and territorial properties and endowed with strong military capacity. The Souza, Maia, Ribadouro, Bayão, and Breganange had already supported Fernando in his conquests and would be a very important factor in the country's immediate political evolution. It seems like the discontented Galician and Portuguese nobles, along with ecclesiastical aristocracy, went to León in the final months of 1070. And apparently, Alfonso VI of León did not encounter any significant resistance when he entered Galicia in May and June of 1071, where he expelled Garcia, who had to take refuge in the southern part of his kingdom, 
close to the support of the kings of Badajoz and Seville. And speaking of Alfonso, his kingdom was the political realm where royal power was most well organized. There sat Leon, the capital of a monarchy that was once much larger, even though Alfonso had received an enlarged kingdom. There existed a tradition of imperium and administration which materialized in the experienced institutions upon which Fernando I based his rule. Alfonso, therefore, had the support of bishops in the court and the chancellery, as well as that of his sisters, the Infantas Uraca and Elvira, who resided at the court along with the queen mother, Sancha, until her death. He also had the support of a group of nobles from his own generation, as mentions of those of the previous one almost completely disappear from the documents. The most prominent from the very beginning was Pedro Ansures, a companion of Alfonso since childhood and one of the individuals who participated in his education. He was the most distinguished member of the house of the Benu Gomez, and he came to hold in his hand almost all of the inheritance of his ancestors. Now, switching our focus to Castile, the southern boundary of the Kingdom of Castile was approximately the Arlanza River until its confluence with the Pisuerga. And this river marked the western border with Leon. The eastern border was much more contentious at that time. It pitted Sancho II against Navarre and against Sancho Ramirez of Aragon. A figure of note in Sancho's court was Rodrigo Díaz de Vivar, who was about 20 to 22 years old in 1065. Rodrigo would later be known by a more famous name, El Cid. Sancho of Castile directed his main political and military activities in the lands east of his kingdom. In this campaign, the Castilian king would recover a couple of cities that were still held by Navarre. In the west, he eventually adopted the same policy as his grandfather and father, attempting the annexation of Leon as a means to resolve conflicts. The conflict with Alfonso VI started in 1068 as a simple skirmish between Leonese and Castilian forces at the point of the Pisuerga border. The confrontation grew throughout 1071, although it did not prevent agreements between Alfonso and Sancho regarding the dispossession of their brother Garcia and the distribution of power in Galicia. But all of this eventually led to the Battle of Vulpejar, fought at the beginning of 1072 within Leonese territory, with the upshot being that Alfonso was captured in battle and taken to Burgos, while Sancho entered Leon. According to the chronicle of Bishop Pelayo of Oviedo, he crowned himself since the Leonese bishop refused to participate in the ceremony. This anecdote is indicative of the resistance that Sancho faced among the high clergy and Leonese nobility during the few months he was king of Leon in 1072. In the spring, he marched against Garcia, who was in exile south of his kingdom, defeating him in Santarén, and forced him to take refuge in Seville. Subsequently, in June, he agreed to send Alfonso away from Burgos and into exile in Toledo. Though Sancho had amassed more power than ever in his hands by 1072, it was a fragile power. He desperately needed to attract the major political players of the kingdoms to avoid or overcome any uprisings that might occur. But he 
just didn't have the time. By summer's end, the Infanta Uraca and Count Pedro Ansures openly rebelled against Sancho. The final act of the drama took place in Zamora, where Uraca and Pedro took refuge. This may indicate that they expected the rebellion to lead to Alfonso VI's release. King Garcia moved to besiege Uraca and Pedro, and was in the midst of it when, unexpectedly, he was assassinated on Saturday, October 6, 1072. Subsequently, Al-Ma'mun, the king of Toledo, released Alfonso to return to León after Sancho's death. Alfonso VI went to Zamora on the last days of October, and from there he marched on León, where he convened an extraordinary court in mid-November. Attending was his sister, the Infanto Uraca, and the bishops from the Three Kingdoms, along with the main Leonese and Galician nobles, and from Castile, Gonzalo Salvadores and Nuno Gonzalez, both from the House of Lara. The fate of Garcia of Galicia was the final loose end that remained to be tied, and where Alfonso's cold determination is evident. Garcia returned to Coimbra around November 1072 and traveled to León in the new year, perhaps summoned by his brother and hoping for better treatment. But if that's what he expected, he was sorely mistaken. He was captured on February of 1073 and imprisoned in the Luna Castle, in the heart of the Leonese Mountains of Babia. He remained there until his death in March of 1090. We will leave Alfonso VI right here in the 1070s, in the midst of the glory of his return to power. Next episode, we will cover Alfonso's reign with a particular focus on the county of Portugal, because as those of you who read ahead know, we are very, very close to witnessing the rise of Portugal from an extension of Galicia to an independent political entity. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.